uh, engaging uh, many other Christians uh, around the world by following uh, the lectionary. Is that what it's called, Aaron, right? The lectionary with the service, the passage that we're talking about today, which is in Mark chapter 6. So if you'll grab one of those Bibles next to you, grab one next to you and turn to page 703. And we're in Mark chapter 6, so look for the giant 6. And I'm going to start with the word right next to the 6. So page 703 in your Bible, uh, we're reading from Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him and uh, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't these his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He cannot do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 disciples to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So I read that passage, um, and as I read it, there were uh, two obvious uh, ways that you could go with that, right? You could either talk about um, the whole idea that Jesus, the Son of God, right, the smartest dude ever to live and the person who would be best at uh, everything, that the people who knew him and grew up around him uh, denied him and said, nope, uh, we don't believe you, you're just good old Jesus from back in the day. So you could like go that route and we could talk about that. Or we could go the other route and we could talk about the second half of the passage, which is about being sent out, that we're all missionaries and that we're all sent out uh, to work for the kingdom. But God did with me what he always does. um, And he uh, began to do a work in me over the last couple of weeks as I was preparing this sermon. And he sent me a whole nother direction. Um, So what we're going to talk about today is community. And although it seems like community is not a piece of Uh, this passage. It actually is, and uh, we'll get into that a lot today. But I just really felt like the Holy Spirit was laying on me to talk about community, uh, and already what I've heard this morning in the service um, with the worship and with the community meditation, it seems like God knew what he was doing. He was orchestrating things today. So today we're going to talk about community. What does it look like? Why is it important? Where do we get some examples of good community? And I'm going to reference this book a lot because it's one of my new favorites. It's called The Church's Movement. Um, It's by two incredible guys um, who we've met, and uh, they just have some wonderful things to say. And one of the key things they say about community is that if you're in community, effective, beautiful, genuine community has two main elements, a shared story and a shared life. And you need both of them working together in order to have genuine community. So let's pray. God, uh, I'm just grateful to be here again, to be with uh, our Restore family and to be back here uh, in this community. I am uh, just, um, you have amazed me uh, by getting to see what community looks like here at Restore, and I thank you for that, God. And I pray that today uh, your words would become my words and that the things that I say would be 
uh, an encouragement and perhaps a challenge um, to every one of us in this room. Uh, thank you for your son Jesus and for his sacrifice, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Jesus's community in this story, it shows us uh, in several ways what bad community is. It shows us like poor examples of true community. And I believe that uh, it's probably best for us to look at some examples in our own uh, context here as Americans and see uh, some other poor examples and kind of dissect those poor examples and then uh, rebuild uh, out of what Jesus has to say as a good example of community. Um, I'm going to refer to today several times uh, America as the empire, and that's to draw a comparison to the empire that Jesus was a part of. And you'll, you'll get it as we go along, but the truth of the matter is that empires really don't change. Um, empires from Jesus' day and all the way up to now have many similarities. And so uh, when I talk about the empire today, I'm talking about America, so hopefully that makes sense. So let's begin with uh, the first example, which is an example that all of us are probably a part of, and all of you probably say is the best example of community, something that really enriches your life and makes you happy and smile all the time, and that is Facebook, right? Um, because that is like probably one of America's biggest uh, things that we point to when uh, we talk about community. You're part of the community on Facebook. In fact, CEO Mark Zuckerberg claimed recently that Facebook can replace your church. I don't know if you saw this article. Um, that Facebook can replace your church. It can fill in the gaps in your life. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg talked about how it is effectively creating uh, these uh, meaningful communities, is what he called them. Then I started thinking, like, isn't Facebook this, like, world of extremes, right? Like, you either go to Facebook to talk about how amazing your life is, right? Like, check out uh, my new car that I got or this baby that I just, you know, popped into my lap or whatever, you know, like all of these incredible things that that's how it happens, right? Um, <laughs> like these are all the incredible awesome things, all right? Or like my life is terrible. I hate Starbucks. I hate this. I hate that, right? Like everything's terrible. I got in a car accident today. Like it's this world of extremes and really there's a lot of life that's missing on Facebook. It becomes this limited land of facades where honest conversation and truth are not happening. Um, and instead, there's kind of a, a fakeness to it. So I think Facebook really has become this beautiful uh, allegory for us uh, that reveals this empire's failed idea of community because we've accepted this lie that um, proximity and commonality equal community. That somehow because we're near people and we have stuff in common with them, that we therefore are in community with the people. And the truth of the matter is that it's so much more. And if that's the only community that you have experienced, I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, because we're going to talk about a community that is rich and life-changing and is beautiful. But before we do that, let's talk about what marks the empire's community. Our empire holds up this version of community. It promises several things to us, and I want to kind of dissect each one of those. So the first thing that the empire's community is marked by is its boundaries. Now, uh, boundaries can be a good thing, right? Um, if you think about it in terms of the empire's community, you think about the fact that um, 
boundaries create exclusion, right? Everybody wants to be part of something that is exclusive, right? This is why we join country clubs. This is why we, uh, you know, move into apartment complexes that have a key card, right? Because we want to be part of something exclusive or we want to be protected. But for whatever reason, we create boundaries and the empire says that that's important and that's something you should have in community is boundaries and exclusion where only certain people are welcomed in. Now these boundaries are sometimes created based on physical locations, so like physicality. So uh, if you're in the city, your, your version of community is gonna look different than in the, uh, out in the country, right? Or out in the suburbs, it's gonna look a little bit different. Sometimes we create boundaries uh, in our communities based on aging, right? For some reason, uh, in our culture, we, we take people who are aging and we put them uh, in retirement homes so that we don't have to be reminded that we too are aging, right? We, we put people of different skin pigmentation or people of different gender and we separate out to make these boundaries around our set of community. Now, there is an upside to this, right? If you have boundaries, that means that you get to control a lot of things. So you now can control what other people know about you because you set the boundaries, like I'm not gonna get that involved. You can control your level of involvement, you can control how engaged you get. So there is an upside, but there's also a downside. The downside is boundaries are isolating. They isolate you and they bring you back into a corner and they, as we build up walls, one of the things I'm a big proponent of, and if you know me at all, you've heard me say this probably a million times, I believe that we fear what we don't know. And if we have a boundary between us and someone else, we don't know enough about them. And we're not going to get to know more because there's the boundary there. And so I believe that uh, one of the downsides is that uh, boundaries increase the amount of fear that we have. So the Empire's community promises boundaries. It also promises homogeneity. Now that is a fun word, right? I had to like poke it in to see how Google tells me to pronounce it because Google's always right. So it does say homogeneity. It seems like it should be homogenous or something. But homogenous meaning everyone looks alike, right? The Empire's community promises that you'll be in a group where people look like you, where people think like you, where people act like you, they vote like you, they do everything like you. And uh, sometimes that uh, means your family. Sometimes uh, it just means other known quantities, but it's a group of people your community should be, um, a group of people who look and act and think like you. That's what the empire tells us. Jesus' peers in this story, they refuse to be a part of his community because they're blinded by their own preconceived notions of who Jesus was. They, they see Jesus as uh, having the same socioeconomic standing as them, right? They see him as having the same background as them, being from the same school as them, the same, uh, they have so many things in common. They look at him and they say, oh, we know what everybody else is who fits all of these categories. We know what they're like. You can't be any different, Jesus. And so they deny uh, and say, we don't want to be a part of your community. Now, the upside of being a part of a homogenous group, being a part of uh, a group of everyone that believes and thinks the same thing you do, the upside is that you get everything you want, right? You have a shared politic, uh, like belief system, you have shared enemies, you have shared interests, and so it's kind of easy to find something to talk about, right? When you go to a party with these people, it's easy to figure out what to rant about on Facebook when you're in a group with these people, or it's easy to figure out, um, you know, what not to talk about around these certain people because you have all these things in common, and you don't have to deal with the difficult stuff like conflict of interest or 
you know, exploring new things or being challenged in your mindset. Um, so that's the upside to being a part of a homogenous group. The downside is that you become more and more entrenched in your own stances. You believe more and more that you are right all the time and you're never challenged because you're not around anyone who's any different from you. Um, and so this is uh, a promise that the empire makes about community is that it'll be easy because you won't ever have to deal with those challenges. Um, the downside is being you know, uh, entrenched in our stances, feeling like uh, there is this us and there is a them. And it's easy to see them, whoever you isolate yourself from, as different people and as wrong. Um, and so the empire also promises the third one uh, is a veneer of relationship. Veneer just means like a facade or a, uh, a false sense of relationship. The empire promises that you won't have to deal with honesty. Um, the empire lacks raw honesty. It lacks repentance and it lacks accountability. Those three things are not a part of the empire's community. And that's because honesty can hurt someone's feelings, right? Like, like we shouldn't be honest with people because what if we hurt their feelings? We um, shouldn't uh, repent because that shows weakness, right? That's a very un-American thing to show weakness. Uh, and we shouldn't be accountable to one another because that makes you vulnerable, right? And vulnerability is a bad thing. You, you don't want to be vulnerable. You want to be uh, strong. Um, so the upside to this, like, veneer of relationship is that you can just go on fooling everybody, right? You can go on, slap that fake smile on your face, and go about hanging out with the people you're always hanging out with um, because no one's actually challenging you and no one knows what your life is really like. So you can just go on fooling everyone into thinking that you don't need any help. That's the upside. So then the downside is, because you fooled them, you don't get their help. Um, you don't get all the benefits of the support and love that a community offers. And you have to carry the weight of all your sins and all your mistakes and all of your choices alone on your own back. And what that leads to is loneliness. It just becomes inevitable. Um, the further and the less and less you share, the more walls that you put up, um, the further from people you become, the more distance you put between them. And this oftentimes leads to, you know, really tough things like depression, right? This um, is what fake relationships can lead to and fake community. Now, the last thing uh, that the empire promises you in uh, its version of community is that you'll have a shared story. Now, remember before uh, when we started the sermon, I said that there are two main characteristics of incredible, genuine community. There's a shared story and there's shared life. So the empire promises you a shared story, right? That we're all American, that regardless of what you look like or act like or whatever, um, that you're all American. So we all share this together, this shared story. But the problem is that the shared life is not also there. Um, and so one without the other is still a cheap version of uh, true community. This idea of a shared story uh, in our empire looks like this. Nationalism tells us that patriotism should go above everything else, that we should put patriotism above our fellow man, that we should put patriotism above our um, faith, above our God, that patriotism and love of country should go before uh, God and, and people. And truly, uh, the way that plays that self out most frequently is in times of danger, right? When we've been attacked, 9-11 or different things like that, right? Immediately, patriotism is put at the top. Um, and as a Christian, that's just not um, how we are called 
to live. Now, I am thankful to live here in this country and to be able to experience the freedoms that we get to experience. I love living here. I love that we are meeting here without any threat, um, and we're able to walk out and talk on these streets about Jesus Christ openly. Um, That cannot become the most important thing in my life. It cannot become what I bow down to. Um, And so a shared story uh, alone by itself, um, in our context, in our empire, what it leads us to is a sense of safety. That's the upside, right? We, we feel safe. We also feel superior to everyone. Uh, I believe that those are false, um, that it's a false sense of security or a false sense of um, superiority, but that's the upside to it is that you feel safe. The downside, though, is that we willingly follow the desires of the empire off to war against the very people who we're supposed to be praying for, against the very people uh, who we're supposed to be welcoming into community, who we're supposed to be leaving, uh, loving. When I say that, um, I, I'm not talking about a specific group of people because Jesus didn't tell us to go love a specific group of people. He said, go love everyone, right? We're supposed to go make disciples of all nations, not some nations, not this color nation or this nation on this part of the world. All nations we're supposed to love. Um, and so our shared story is a story that is rooted in Jesus as king uh, and not the empire. So The empire, uh, just to sum up that part of it, uh, the empire's version of community is actually pretty good at not creating community and instead keeping us from genuine life-changing community because it does this. It lulls us into submission with these false promises of safety and acceptance. And it creates inside of us this, this hatred for the other and this separation. What it does is it, Uh, One of my favorite illustrations in college was this idea of like, you can either live like this open-handed or you can live closed, uh, clenched fists. And what the empire's version of (coughs) of community that we just talked about, it draws you further and further back into a corner where you hold on to what you have and where your clenched fists become fists for fighting. That's what the empire's version of community does. And the truth of the matter is, what you're hopefully here today to hear is that Jesus wants us to live like this. Jesus has come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, and this is the way that he wants you to live. It makes you vulnerable. Uh, It means that people can take stuff from you, but it's incredible. It's life-changing. And now I want to talk about what that life uh, looks like, what that type of community looks like. Jesus wants you to have a completely new imagination for community. He wants us to see things in a different light. See, uh, Mark Zuckerberg might not get that genuine community, the relational interactions and the support that we all crave and need, they have to come from incarnate relationships. I'm going to explain what incarnate means here. They have to come from shared life. They have to come from doing life together. You see, Christians believe that God came to earth, he put skin on, and he moved into the neighborhood. That's what John 1.14 says, that God put on skin and moved into the neighborhood in the person of Jesus. And when God did that, uh, he showed us what it's like to live in community through Jesus. And then when Jesus was resurrected, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and to make us the incarnate, right? God, having God in us with skin on to be the incarnate God in our communities, that we can represent him, that we can show others what Jesus looks like, including his incredible community and we have the opportunity to do that 
uh, when we follow Christ. See, social media will never be responsible for the increase of meaningful community. It's, it's just uh, so limited. It's lacking. Technology cannot replace human interactions. Even with the help of emojis, we cannot convey what real relationship is, right? Even with gifts, is that what they're called, the little things where you send pictures, right? Uh, which I love, by the way. If you text me, I'll send you a few. Um, those things, right? Like even that doesn't really convey Jim Carrey yelling something at you. doesn't really convey what I'm actually thinking and, and what I look like and what I'm experiencing in this conversation. We're just unable to do it. You will still crave what only the physical presence of another human being can offer. And this is why Jesus Christ had to come to earth, why he had to become man, why he had to be in our presence. This is why. Because you cannot experience real relationship and real community through technology. You just can't do it. Uh, it has to be face-to-face, and a big part of community uh, is that. And what Jesus does uh, is he helps us realize that face-to-face in a conversation with people, doing life side-by-side, side, you get to see body language. You get to hear that, right? You get to, you get to smell whatever's going on in the room, right? Like you, you're fully engaged in the conversation, and you're more likely to invest in that relationship when you're in uh, proximity with the person, you're actually doing life with them. So Jesus takes the empire's version of community and he just, uh, as Aaron would say, takes a sledgehammer to it, right? He just destroys it. This is what uh, Jesus does. Um, he, but he doesn't just leave us with this shattered version of community. He builds up this beautiful version and he models it for us. He shows us what community looks like by the way he interacts with the Holy Spirit and God in the Trinity. And he shows us what community looks like as he lives it out with his disciples uh, and with the men and women who are following him around and, and living life with him. So here's what it looks like. I'm just going to talk about four. Look, community in Jesus includes so many things. So we, we, we're not going to talk about all of them today, but I, I want to hit on four that I think are a part of uh, this passage. Um, and so we're going to start with the first um, marker of Jesus' genuine community is inclusion. Jesus was this like crazy person, right? So people, why do you think so many people followed him? You know, I mean, maybe he was handsome, but I, I, that probably wasn't the only thing, right? I mean, like he, uh, he said some crazy stuff, right? People wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to see the miracles that he was performing. Jesus hung out with God himself. He hung out on earth with prostitutes, with tax collectors. He hung out with zealots, right? These are the hotheads. These are the people, you know, Jesus hung out with people who wanted to burn down the empire, right? And he hung out with them. Um, Jesus hung out and invested time, like Tyler said earlier, in liars, in cheats, in the very people who he knew would betray him to his very death. Jesus knew that, and he still invested countless hours and real life into these people. That's crazy community. That is inclusion, guys. That's not like, oh, you look a little different from me. You're like a little bit further down the political spectrum than I am. Like, I'll hang out with you a little and have dinner. No, this is like, this is just crazy uh, community. It's inclusion that we can't even really wrap our minds around. But Jesus says that our new definition of family is broader than it had ever been. Our new definition of family now encompasses all who call Jesus Lord. So that means it doesn't matter where they're from, what language they speak. 
now those people are your family. So you got to treat them like you should treat your family. Maybe not how you do treat your family, but how you should treat your family, right? They are now uh, a part of this deep uh, love that you should have for other people. Guys, there is beauty in diversity. And you hear that all the time, right? That's a, that's a catchphrase in America if there ever was, was one, right? There's beauty in diversity. There, there is knowledge to be learned from one another. There are things that you cannot figure out when you are bound, when you have boundaries keeping you inside and you're around other people who think and act and talk just like you do and have had all the same experiences. Even the internet, right? Even with reading on the internet, you can't experience those things in the same meaningful ways as you can if you are being inclusive and inviting others into real relationship with you. Jesus also says as a part of inclusion is that you have to include other people, right? Like you, you can't do community alone. You cannot do community alone. You cannot do community with your phone. I don't have my phone right now. I was going to hold it up. Uh, you can't do community just with a phone. That's not a person. It has to be other people. Jesus sends them out in pairs because Jesus knew that we, are, we were created to be in community. He doesn't send the disciples out one at a time. He sends them out in pairs. That's important. I love this quote. Tweet this, okay? Uh, Woodward and White in this book, I love it. Actually, it's hard. To, I'm not very good at tweeting very right now, so I, uh, I couldn't figure out how to get this all into a tweet because it's too many characters. So if you're really good at tweeting and condensing tweets, help me out with that. Uh, here's what it says. The community stands as a protest against the tyranny of individualism and points to the renewed world under the reign of King Jesus. I, every time I read that, I get chills. Like I've, I've read that 40 times in the last week. Um, the community is a protest against the tyranny of individualism. Individualism, you being isolated and living life by yourself and trying to do it all on your own is tyrannical. It is oppressive. It is saddening. It will not end well for you. It is not community. But community protests against that. It proves and shows that Jesus is the king when real relationship is happening and that he is on his throne today and he is the one who we follow. So Inclusion is the first thing that Jesus' radical community shows. The second is radical generosity. That's the second marker of Jesus' uh, community. Jesus tells the disciples to go out and to rely on uh, others for their most basic needs. He says, leave, leave everything behind in this passage and go out and rely on other people. Go to a house and rely on other people's generosity. Relying on other people accepting generosity. Th these are very anti-empire things in the empire that we live in. Americans do not like to rely on other people, right? We like to do it on our own. We like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We like to buy the, you know, the sweat of my brow and my own grit, right? Like these are all words that are huge compliments, right? If you, if you did it, if you've got grit, if you did it by the sweat of your own brow, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. These are all success stories in America. And Jesus says, no, rely on others. He says, no, live in community with one another. Live like this, radically generous. That is a hard thing to do, guys, I'm telling you. Because when you live like this, with everything that's yours in your hands, people can take it, right? And they will. But it also means that God and others can put things into your hand, right? And can bless you in incredible ways. When you accept other people's generosity, as unheard of is that, as that is in America, accepting other people's generosity, right? Think about it. You go on vacation uh, with some friends and stuff, and you're out to dinner one night, and you offer to pay 
for that meal, right? What's the first thing the other adults in the room are going to do or the other people who could pay for it? They're going to be like, no, 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 I got it. I, no, I got I got it. But put, put it away. I got it, right? And then when they pull their card out, you maybe take their card and throw it or you like, you like chase the – I've seen this, right? People where they chase the waitress across the room like, no, 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 I've got this, right? Because it's all about me and I can do this on my own. I don't need your help. But radical generosity, part of it is accepting other people's generosity. And the crazy thing is, right, God works in crazy ways. And oftentimes he'll show you, if you accept that generosity that night at dinner, then the next night you can pay for it, right? Like, and there's this like beautiful thing that happens when people see you being generous, they want to be more generous. But if no one accepts the generosity, then the cycle stops. Um, And so be radically generous, have a new perspective. Don't worry about tomorrow or how to put food on the table, right? Instead, live in such a fashion that is open-handed that says, this isn't mine. This stuff's not mine. I want it to be used um, for this community. The third marker of Jesus's uh, radical community is compassion. Compassion. What a word. Um, Guys, when you are compassionate with your fellow man, it has this incredible ability to just change all of your perspective. When you love someone and you uh, extend uh, your heart to them and you take care of those people and you love them and you just embrace them in their moment of need, it's incredible what God does with that. You know, the Christian community is responsible for the advent of, of the orphanage, the advent of hospitals. The, even the printed word, it could be said, was a result of someone who wanted to get the word of Jesus into people's hands, right? All of these things um, are compassionate acts that began in the Christian community. So we ought to be a people who are continuing that legacy. We ought to be a people who our generosity would be, um, our compassion, sorry, would be so crazy that it would be creating uh, new things. One of the cool things I saw on, uh, on the internet the other day, right? Uh, was this coat now um, that uh, this teenage girl created for um, the homeless. And it becomes a tent. So you can wear it as a coat. And then when you stop at night, you can take the coat off. And everything in the coat is there to create a tent, a living shelter for someone who doesn't have a home. Isn't that cool? Like, those are the kind of things that Christians should be making every day. Like, we should be leading the charge on compassion towards other people. The fourth thing that Jesus' radical community, uh, a marker of it, is our sentness. We ought to see ourselves as and live out uh, the act of being a missionary. We ought to see ourselves not as, again, this exclusive, inward-focused, more about me and us and, and bolst- you know, building up these walls and uh, more about us, but instead we ought to be a community that's together healing one another, loving one another, so that we can go out and share uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the way that we're called to live. Um, Jesus' last words on earth were, go and, and make disciples, right? Like th- this is what he tells the disciples to do and us to go out and do. We are a sent people. A sent people, uh, a piece of that that I'm learning recently uh, is that the Bible was actually written to, uh, from a perspective and to a people who were nothing like me. I am, in today's world, the most powerful person or people group on earth. I am a white, 
man who is upper middle class and I'm American. That makes me like the most powerful person or people group on earth today. That's not who the Bible was written from the perspective of or to, right? It was written by exiles. It was written to people who were oppressed, who were living this terrible reality, right? So as a white upper middle class American male, I have to read the Bible in that way so I can understand it in its full context. And part of being sent out as a missionary um, is realizing that this is not my home anyways, right? It's always hard to leave your home. It's hard to step away from what you know and understand and love and be sent out. But the truth of the matter is that when you go out as a missionary, God has some incredible work to do in you too. He's going to use you. He's going to do great things through you, but he's going to do great things in you as well as you go out. So seeing yourself as a sent out person is great. And just one little thing about being sent out. There is a tension that you live in, right? This community that Jesus has called us into, it's not super easy. (laughs) There's some tension in it. And one of the tensions of being sent is recognizing that you as a Christian are holy and called out. You're set aside as this, uh, you know, beautiful picture of what God is. You're holy, but you're also called to become one of, to seek the welfare of your city, right? And so we live in this tension going back and forth, trying to figure out what it means to live in community and also be sent. Jesus's community, what he has to tell us about community is radical. It's crazy, guys. It is a shared story that uh, many don't accept and that many don't want uh, to uh, be a part of. When this is your shared story, uh, Stanley Hauerwas, he says that we're all story-formed people. Who we are, our identity is formed out of story. And as a Christian, your story, our shared story, comes out of the beautiful narrative of love and justice and reconciliation and peace that is told in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ himself. It's radical because you're called to leave everything and give everything for the sake of another, right? For the kingdom of Jesus. And we're called to do that uh, in these radical ways. We're called to live generously in this world without prejudice as a compassionate people, welcoming everyone back into this story. And the most radical part of our shared story is that we claim Jesus Christ to be our king, not the empire. We claim him as king. We put him on top above all else. He gets our attention, our affection, our love and generosity. Like that is where we focus uh, on him as our king reigning today, not some distant future king, but as the king today. And that's a radical story. That means people are going to hear the story and they're not going to like it. That means you might have family members, right? This summer, as you spend time with family members, you might find there are family members you have who don't share this radical story with you. And as a result, they maybe push you out or ostracize you or um, say mean things about you or whatever, right? It, it, that's what happened with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus tells us that we're going to experience what he did. Like how, how can you look at Jesus who says, pick up your cross and follow me and think, oh, but that doesn't mean that my family will hate me. Uh, Jesus's family and friends and, and the past, like his hometown said no. That doesn't mean they're going to do it to me. Um, it might. When you subvert the culture with this radical story, when you subvert the empire, it makes you an enemy of the state. This is another downside. Um, <laughs> it, the empire thrives on passive citizens submitting. That's what it thrives on. It, the empire cannot allow rebels to disrupt the status quo. 
But as a Christian, you're not called to be passive. That's not what we're called to. We're called to submit to the will of God. And a lot of times that's in opposition to the empire. Here's the things we fight against that the empire needs people to uh, obey and to die for. These are the things that Christians fight against. We fight individualism. We fight the idea of self-preservation, which is super hard to do. But we fight against that because that's not who Jesus was. We fight against uh, the hoarding of resources. We fight against the allure of physical safety. Again, these are things that the, ci- the empire needs its citizens to passively uh, submit to and to die uh, for these causes. That means that your neighbors are going to look at you as a crazy person. They're, they're going to tell you, they're going to say things like, why do you believe in this fairy tale, right? They're just going to like, they're going to think you must be ignorant or you don't know what you're talking about. Or, uh, you know, you have some sort of mental disorder. Like, there's something wrong with you, because why on earth would you subvert um, the empire? But it means that you're going to do crazy things, right? And one of the crazy things I want to challenge you all on here, this is a specific challenge for our Silver Spring, D.C. area friends. Guys, if you live here, you live in the most transient place on earth. Everybody is on their way out, right? Nobody moves to D.C. to stay in D.C., right? It's too daggone expensive, right? It like, do you enjoy driving in traffic and being honked at? And you know, yeah, like this is not a, an ideal place where people move to stay. But you're not an ideal person anymore, right? You, if you are a Christian, you're called to do radical things, and a part of radical community might mean staying here when your government contract is up. It might mean planting deep roots here in D.C. and sticking around when the easy thing would be to follow the money or to follow what's easy and go, you know, back to wherever home is for you. So I just want to challenge you. Maybe that's something uh, that you can do to increase the community in your life. Guys, this radical shared story, again, right? The empire offers a shared story. That can't be it. You have to have shared life with it. And when shared story and shared life come together, you get this genuine community that is Jesus and it is beautiful and it is life-changing and it is not hard. It is not easy, but, um, it is so worth it. It's so worth it, guys. Uh, one last thing. In this book, um, uh, he, well, here at Restore, we talk about um, uh, Kairos moments, and we talk about when God's trying to say something to you. Are you just going to walk on past it, or are you going to stop and think about it? Um, and so we ask these two questions. What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? I love in this book, they take it kind of a step further, and they add a little bit to the Kairos conversation. Um, they say that if we're mutually discipling each other in community, if we're encouraging one another and building each other up and holding each other accountable, then we're going to ask these four questions. What is the Holy Spirit doing in you, inside of you? Now, you don't even have to be a Christian for this to happen, right? God can use the Holy Spirit to convict you or challenge you on certain things. So what is God trying to do inside of you right now? What's he maybe stirring up inside of you? The second thing, what's the Holy Spirit doing around you? Look at people around you. Look at what's going on around you. How is God in the midst of of your surroundings? Are you even noticing? The third question, what is God's spirit doing through you? How's God using you in your community, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your school? How is God using you in those places? And the last question is, what are you going to do about it? Right? Like just sitting and thinking and reading, right? And like coming to a conclusion that God has told you this. If you don't do anything with it, right? What What is that, right? That's not real community. So in order to enhance the community, in order to be a part of making this beautiful community, you have to do something about what God is telling you.
Guys, if you are not a part of a radical Jesus community, this is a place where you can be a part of one. Guys, I, I'm gonna get choked up here. I, I spent two years here and in two years, Janet and I's life was radically changed, right? Um, it's led to a lot of difficult things. Um, we live in a city that I used to hate and that I, you know, I, I saw as this dangerous place, uh, which is Baltimore City, um, a city where everyone's leaving, and God, you know, sent us there. Um, and now it's a place that I love, and I'm glad that we're there. But it was because of this community and because of the challenges and because of the radical generosity that we got to see here. Um, guys, this is a place, this is a community that is inclusive. This is a community that has radical generosity. This is a, a community where <coughs> immigrants are welcomed and loved on and shared with, where <coughs> the underprivileged and outcast are welcomed with hugs and laughter in real life. This is that place. Um, and it's beautiful. And I want, <coughs> I want that for all of you, even those of you who I don't know, I've never even met before. Um, and I know that Jesus is the only way you can get it. So uh, let me pray for you guys um, that, that that would be something that you get to experience.